Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. So I'm going to read some short bits from my book, and then Jason's going to interrogate me with the slideshow. Um, and I think the one bit of context you might need is that my family ran a grocery store in the West Village. It was the one in the film. Uh, and when I got older, it turned into a restaurant, but we always called it the store. Three. Um, the imaginary horizontal lines that circle the earth make sense. Our equator is zero degrees. The north and south poles are 90 degrees. Latitude's order is airtight with clear and elegant motives. The earth has a top and a bottom. Longitude's another story. There isn't a left and right to earth. Any line could have been called zero. But Greenwich Greenwich got first dates on the prime meridian, and as a result, the world sets clocks and ships by a British resort town that lies outside London. It was an arbitrary choice that became the basis for precision. My father knew a family named Wolfowitz who wanted to go on vacation, but didn't know where. It hit them. Take a two-week road trip, driving to as many towns and parks and counties as they could that contained their last name, Wolf Point, Wolfville, Wolf Lake. They read up and found things to do on the way to these wolf spots, a hotel and a railroad car, an alpine slide, a pretzel factory, etc. The Wolfowitz ended up seeing more than they planned. Lots of unexpected things popped up along the route. When they came back from the vacation, they felt really good. It was easily the best vacation of their lives, and they wondered why. My father says it was because the Wolfowitz stopped trying to accomplish anything. They just put a carrot in front of them and decided the carrot wasn't that important, but chasing it was. The story of the Wolfowitz vacation was told hundreds of times to hundreds of customers in the small restaurant that my mom and dad ran in Greenwich Village. Each time it was told, my dad would conclude that the vacation changed the Wolfowitz's whole life and that this was how they were going to live from now on, chasing a very, very small carrot. Uh, 198. As kids, my siblings and I played in traffic. The game was run into the middle of the street, put down a water balloon, haul ass back to the sidewalk, and watch the oncoming cars run over the balloon. Repeat until you had a close call or ran out of balloons. We also stayed up late, ate with our hands, cursed, never brushed our teeth, drank soda like it was water, and hung out at gay bars. There was only one rule growing up. Don't touch the meat slicer. The store was a beautiful, scrubby place with white enamel fridges and vintage cookie tins, but for me, nothing was as wonderful as a slicing machine. It was a streamlined silver sculpture manufactured by Hobart, not the 410 designed by Egmont Aarons. Our Hobart was a later model with a slanted meat feet. When the machine was turned on, it sounded like a circular saw, which is basically what it was. There was a carriage that most often held fresh roast beef. The carriage was pushed back and forth the way you rock a baby to sleep. Instead of piecing quiet, you got toilet paper thin slices of meat. No glory end. I have all my fingers. Loved the machine from afar until I hit 14 and the embargo was lifted. Then I loved it up close every day, eating translucent slices of turkey whether I was hungry or not. 284. 
A breed of people hear my last name, flash the opposite of a twinkle, and say they tried to go to the store once. Then they will allude to the fact that my father is a psycho. Most dishes at the store could be got on a scales, on a spice scale of 1 to 10. 10 was murder. My dad took it as a penis contest, slicing scotch bonnets in a way that camouflaged what they were so the customer couldn't cheat and pick them out. If you didn't belong to, in the store, you were kicked out. It was violent and happened as soon as somebody wrong and uh, put their foot in the door. Not physically violent. My father never hit anyone. He didn't need to. He could do more harm with one sentence than most people could do with a crowbar. Wounds heal, but what my dad says will haunt you for the rest of your life. Last one. Page 300. My mom's tip cup was an oversized glass beer stein decorated with a St. Pauli girl's decal. We had St. Pauli's and Sam Adams on tap. When I was nine, she taught me and mended a poor draft beer. It wasn't easy. You had to tilt the glass just so to get the right head. It was twice as hard because all our beer mugs were shaped like cowboy boots. This is typical of all the decisions my parents made. Jason Fulford. I'm married to Tamara. And uh, I made a slideshow that I'm going to narrate. And we'll say, Tamara, you can, you can be the peanut gallery. Okay. Beach ball? Huh? Yeah, I just, they're sheets. Okay. I would want to sit. Okay. So I'm going to narrate, and you be the peanut gallery. Okay. Actually, you guys can all be peanut gallery if you want. So if you have something to say or ask, just yell it out. No rules. Okay, so um, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, and uh, Tamara grew up, as you just heard, in the West Village. Um, but I found these old pictures, and I realized we actually came from the same background. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to try to take um, advice from this golf pencil that Tamara made. Um, this is the oldest picture that I ever seen of Tamara and her twin sister Melinda. I'm not sure which one is which here. I don't know either. Um, but I love a lot of things about this picture, especially the Valvoline cans. That's my favorite thing. Um, but I also love this mysterious woman. Linda. Linda. Um, just the whole scene, scene where the, the setting where Tamara was, uh, was um, raised. And then also the weird ashtray on the bottom left. Homemade. It was 1979, I guess. So. Um, this is Tamara in 2003, the time when we met. And uh, I fell in love with her because of all of the things that I knew about her at the time. Um, but the more I learned about her past, I started to really love her family too. Because I could see where a lot of her sensibilities and characteristics were forged. This is the second oldest picture that I know of Tamara and her twin sister. Um, I think maybe you're the one with the spaghetti in this one. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but they're eating spaghetti right off of the counter. No plates. 
Yeah, they they were just like, why bother with the dishes? It's gonna end up on the counter. <laughs> okay. This is a stencil that you made uh, around the time when I had a monthly membership to a laser cutting studio. Yeah, he needed stuff to make. I ran out of things after about a week, so. Alright, I thought you could explain this image. We have three copies of Weird Europe, which is a guidebook to Europe, uh, made in the 80s. It's not related to Weird New Jersey. It's, it's really great. Um, and I needed you to bring it back from Scranton. This was a note. Take a little off for that. Um, yeah. Okay, this is a place I think we found through Weird Europe, maybe. Probably. But I know that your family did a lot of road trips when you were young, and I know that your mom was a great trip planner and would find awesome points on the map. And I think you and your siblings have inherited this skill. I've benefited from it on many trips. Um, this was in Italy, outside of Parma, and tomorrow I found this place. It was the home of a, a dead uh, Italian hoarder slash children's educator. And there was a whole farm and house, and every single wall was covered in stuff. I mean, like no no space at all. And this kind was a room patterns of like farm equipment, and yeah, every room had different stuff. Yeah, there was even a room that was just repurposed uh, German steel helmets from World War II. Apparently, when the Germans were marching back to Germany after the war from Africa. They traded their helmets for things with a lot, and so the Italians used them for bowls or cooking Pots. things, or like a horseshit shovel. That was my favorite one. They just welded a rod onto one. Um, anyway, this was a room dedicated to homemade toys. It's post World War II uh, found object toys where you really had to use your imagination. Yeah, and the best the best toy uh, was. Um, the guy came up to me with this like piece of bent wire and he said, do you know what this is? And I said, wire? And he said, no. And then he sort of took it and went like this. And I realized it was a bicycle because it was just like shaped like a U and a kid, this guy saved it because a kid had been playing bicycle with it. And that was the best thing in the museum. Do you know what this is? Yeah. You want me to tell? Yeah, you tell. It's an auto grill in, in Italy, but like they have these, their rest stops are not like, it's a chain called Odor, Auto Grill, and it's actually really good and fun, although they really make you exit through this circuitous path. There's like an entry and an exit. But the best thing is sometimes they're like over the highway as a bridge, and they have these windows on, and uh, uh, you can socialize with people going the opposite direction on the highway because you can meet in the middle. There's supposed to be a lot of mafia drops that way too. Right. Yeah. Clean getaway. Yeah. Do you remember this? So this is in Mexico City. We went to see uh, Louis Barragan's house, and in his bedroom was this shrine to Iman. He had made it, it's like, and the tour guide just glanced over it, and I was like, what, what's up with that? And the tour guide was just like, oh, he made that, we didn't, 
move it. No. It was like they had never even thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's right to have built a shrine to him. This is another place that I think you found on a cross-country trip. This was a museum in an old insane asylum about insane asylums. And they, they had demonstrations of all these techniques that, that had been used over the years on people. And all of the subjects were these fashion mannequins from a local department store that had gone out of business. That had been donated to this museum where they could then be tortured. <laughs> My favorite shrubs in Los Angeles. That's the police academy. Has a good coffee shop. This is uh, an illustration that Tamara did for the New Yorker uh, last year. I think uh, it was for an essay by John McPhee on editing and the importance of removing uh, things at uh, omission. So um, I'm putting in a few things, and you can make your own connections here. This is a picture of me around 1978 or so at the newly opened Noguchi Playground in Atlanta, which is still there. You have to visit. When you visit Atlanta, definitely go there. Um, this was a few years later on the corner of Bedford and Morton Streets in Manhattan. I think that's you. I think it is too. Oh, Mina thinks it's neither of us. Really? Yeah. Well, this is both of you, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, the first time that I realized how deeply New York City goes through Tamara's uh, veins is when I, the first time I heard her refer to the sidewalk as the floor. <laughs> this is, it's too bad that we were in the plastic tubs, which I don't know what those tubs were from, um, but it was normally big stock pots, like these big, but they must have been being used, so it looked like my parents were like boiling children on the sidewalk. <laughs> this is uh, an op art that Tamara did for the New York Times one Thanksgiving a few years ago. A uh, riff on the Macy's Day Parade. Um, but if any of you are from New York, you know about the rat from the unions, so I'll explain. Um, press it one more time. <laughs> It doesn't really move, actually, but it just shakes in the wind. So if you don't know about this, when, whenever there's a construction site in Manhattan that's not using union workers, the union sets up this 15-foot-tall inflatable rat. It's always really loud with a generator next to it, and it's usually covered in duct tape to cover up all the holes. And we love it. Yeah, one of my favorite things about the city. Anytime we pass a union rat, we're like, oh, the rat. <laughs> All right, you got to explain this one. And Jason travels a lot. Um, he always leaves me these sweet notes in my computer. So I open the computer and it says, I love you. And I think, you can't keep them. So you throw them away. <laughs> <laughs> Came home from a trip and found this in the garbage can. <laughs> Alright, I love this picture. This is the old store. This is like 1980 something probably. Um, I thought this was your little brother 
Never. Or your older brother as a little boy, but you told me it's actually your dishwasher. It was the dishwasher who lived in the basement for a little named David, who was a very small man, <laughs> very strange man. But he, he was in and he's using the can so he can reach the no. counter. I wish. No. He's making. He's trying to. I mean. He's trying to get the water out of the tuna fish can because it was like a big one and he's a little guy. So this was his method to get the water out so that he had more mayonnaise to tuna ratio. Yeah. Also the tab is really good. Yeah. yeah. I love the dirty bowl part. That's my favorite part. And the mini shoe, miniature shoes. Uh, so I just started using a smartphone a couple of months ago. Um, partly because I didn't like having email all the time, but also because your dad bought a case of flip phones and gave me four of them. Yeah. And so I've been making my way through them until they die and then using the next one and finally I ran out. Um, I actually really like using the smartphone now and one of the reasons is that I can now text you pictures, which I couldn't do before. So I'm going to show you a few pictures that I've texted you in the last couple of months. Okay. See if you remember them and if you can remember how they went over. Okay. I know that was from the picture collection library. I think I might have said beautiful. I don't know. I can't remember your reaction actually. <laughs> Why can't you? Yeah. But this is from the one of my favorite places in New York, the picture collection at the New York City Public Library up in Mid Manhattan. Uh it's yeah. like a it's like a Google image search before the internet existed. It's a hundred years old, and the librarians have been clipping images from magazines and books and and categorizing them by subject matter and folders. Green you can browse folders. them. Each image only gets one subject. Uh, this one I think was in protests or I can't remember the subcategory. Or, Not uh, protests. No, it was uh, po posters, American or posters. Posters. This is a Bruno Minari Tempo Libra Special Edition Swatch Free Time Watch. Bruno Minari is one of our heroes, Italian designer, artist. This was the, the one watch he made for Swatch, where it's free time. <laughs> I sent you this from Italy, from a hotel room, yeah. where this really weird movie. I know you love Toshiro Mifun, yeah. but this movie also starred Charles Bronson and Elaine Delon. Have you all seen this movie? It's bad. I mean, I saw it dubbed in Italian, but even I could tell even it's bad about that. But I take the uh, approach of keeping your enemies close, because tomorrow has a big crush on Mifuni, so this is our bathroom. Um, I sent you this from the same hotel room. Yeah, um, that's the refrigerator, and that's our family crest. When we got married, we didn't do rings. We made a crest and made 75 pins because you had to make 75 pins to get one. Um, and then we just found that amazing refrigerator logo. I love it. 
Yeah, we have to sue them. <laughs> I think they sue us. Honestly. Because I'm the beach ball and he's the crab. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first book, right? The beach ball. It is. That's my nickname. Story? Yeah, he calls me BB. One time we were walking through somewhere and there was a, a missing cat poster on the on a on a pole and it said answers to beach ball. And tomorrow you just look like I want that to be my name. It's the hardcore. <laughs> We've tried a lot of nicknames for me, but yeah. none of them really stick. Because I'm stuck with the crap. But I also like the friction between the inflatable ball and the sharp pincers. <laughs> this is our bathroom in Scranton that is inspired by a bathroom here at the Burger Nar Records store in Mount Washington. Do you know this store? They sell good records, but also if you go there, I recommend using the bathroom. Yeah. They'll stay in there a long time. Portrait of your subconscious. This is a self-portrait from my subconscious. It's his signature folded, and it's very phallic. It comes out different every time. I guess it depends on the day. This is an old uh, parlor game where you would sign your name in wet ink, fold it in half, and a, you see a figure there. But then the surrealist took it and, and used used it as a, a method to to listen to your subconscious. I sent you this from Turkey. And I texted it back, love it, but don't eat it. <laughs> Uh, this is a bittersweet one. Dude. Actually, it's not even sweet. No. This is just a bitter one. This was where Florent was located. It was a restaurant in the meat packing district, which used to actually have meat packing. Um, but it was great. Um, and it makes an appearance in the book for two seconds. Yeah. Sorry to throw that in, but it's not yeah, that smiles. That hit blindsided me. Alright, I'm pretty sure you are the one with the Mickey shirt on now. Positive. And the Harpo Marks yeah, look on your face. Yeah, now it's easy Yes. <laughs> and this is your brother, Danny. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to ask about where you got your awesome clothes. <laughs> Sal's Uptown Boutique. My mom solely shopped at the Salvation Army. Yeah. We all... We had great so t-shirts. Yeah, we would pick them out sometimes, but yeah. Mindy used to have this shirt that had like George Washington crossing the Delaware all over print. It was the best. She loved that shirt so much. To, the, to this day, anywhere I go, I'm just like looking for it. This was a, an illustration that Tamara did for the New Yorker about a month ago, uh, riffing on all the different absurd uh, types of camps you can send your kids to not these days. And um, to illustrate them, she only used lines and dots. So we also visit 
factories as much as we can when we travel. This was a factory tour of a soy sauce factory in southern Japan of a kind of B-rated or C-rated soy sauce. C, yeah, it's like the off-brand Kikumon. It's like the, I don't know, like worse than Lee Kumki or whatever. It's like below that. I think they weren't able to export yet. Yeah. Uh, they gave us free samples and we left them in the hotel room. <laughs> Normally that's the prize. They were nice though. Yeah, they were nice. I don't know why he didn't have to wear a hairnet and we did. Sounds <laughs> weird. Um, so I love this picture because I recognize that look on your face. It's the look of when you're really proud of something that you've done. I'm still really proud of that. <laughs> They were like these weird math blocks that I didn't use. <laughs> There's a, yeah, they were supposed to be ones and tens, and we didn't. My school is a hippie school. We didn't use them for that. It wasn't like I was breaking. I was applauded for that picture, that that sculpture. Was. Didn't they teach you phonetic spelling? Yeah. <laughs> um. I threw in a couple of illustrations you've done where I've seen that look on your face, I think. Like this one. This one. That one. Uh, so this was in Japan somewhere, and uh, behind the cash register we saw this box of rubber bands. We're like, that's awesome. Oh, it looks like it's saying something. What does it say? We asked an employee that didn't speak English. Um, I think eventually like five employees came around. One, one of them spoke English. So what does that say? And she says, rubber bands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is my favorite gas station bathroom sign on the way from New York to Pennsylvania. Um, I saw it for years and finally took a picture after somebody had defaced it, unfortunately, but I loved it because nothing is raised, it's only printed, even in the braille. Uh, this is the picture of the old store that I found and I just wanted to put it in there just to show you. Yeah, it's, it, it's hard to find photos of the store because my dad had rules against taking photos of the store. So it, whenever I, yeah, there aren't that many. <laughs> Looks like somebody snuck in. Yeah. I'm glad. Uh, this is Tamara's dad, Kenny. This is early 80s, young mid-80s. Mid-80s, uh, Holding your little brother's act, and then either you or Minda that's probably me, because I didn't like being photographed. No pride. Uh, this is our niece, Zazi, Tamara's twin sister's daughter, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, this was in Greece, in, the, in Olympia, and um, there's a lot of sculptures there, and a lot of guards uh, who took their jobs really seriously. They all had whistles, like referees, around their necks. They were, yeah, they really seemed like referees, not guards. And the, the main thing they, they uh, didn't like was when you posed like one of the sculptures. 
That was the main thing they whistled at you for. And we hadn't even thought of doing that. Then we were like, well, we've got to get a picture like that. Uh, this was the later that week. This was on Crete, and um, we had rented a motorcycle. I mean, you were comfortable on bikes. Your dad used to drive one with yeah. kids. Yeah, we used to run errands all the time on the back of the bike. But, but this time you didn't want to ride on it while well, we went we, up this gravel hill. We rode down this steep gravel hill, and I'm used to like being afraid of taxi cabs, not like vertical planes. And so Jason was like, I'm going to go back up, and I was like, I'm gonna walk. <laughs> I don't want like that. Just seems dangerous. The two of us, like one. Um, so I walked up the hill, and I fell really bad. <laughs> so Super ripped her jeans and got a scab. I, I made the wrong mistake. I made a mistake. Uh, this is our old bed um, that we used for years and years. Over and over. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, this is an illustration Tamara did about marriage, but I thought maybe you could just um, apply one of them to this slideshow. Can't complain. Um, 
another factory tour that was really special. Let me think. Um, well, close to here in SF, there's the Heath Sausalito factory tour, which is pretty good. Um, the Jelly Belly tour is in La, jo La Jolla. You have to make sure to go when they have like a production day, otherwise the whole place is closed and you just hear about Ronald Reagan and see like jelly bean mosaics of Ronald Reagan. So you just like, if you're gonna go, make sure it's production is running because then you'll see like rivers of jelly beans and workers and it'll be great. But if you don't, it's a whole lot of Reagan. There was that wallpaper factory near there too, remember? Yeah, they like silk screened this William Morris pattern wallpaper. I just went to a silk factory in Genoa, which the factory was was okay, but um, it was like the great grandson of this guy Guillermo Vallobra. The silk was great. He gave us the factory was it was great, it was a little underwhelming, but he took us to lunch, and that was much better. And then he took us on the funicular in, in uh, Genoa, and yeah. 65-year-old bachelor with two young, interested <laughs> women about loving soap and factories. He wanted to spend like, the whole weekend with you guys, I think. Yeah, I was with an Italian, like, who kind of looked like me, just taller, and we were both, like, just really eating up the soap manufacturing history. He did give us a good fact about the history of healthcare, which was that the first, and I don't know if this is true, this isn't even, this is coming off Guillermo Velobra, 65-year-old bachelor who's very kind. Um, he said that the beginning of healthcare was actually in the Genevieve, Genoa ports, that the prostitutes would, uh, the prostitutes contributed to the taxes on maintaining the port, and so the city set up a hospital to take care of the prostitutes. Is this true? I've never heard that before. <laughs> so it might be true. At all. There's, a whole, there's a whole section of Tokyo with little like factories in people's homes. So Katagami we saw. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, I hope that answers the factory question. <laughs> Lydia. I, I'm so intrigued by growing up with so many siblings mm -hmm. at the store. And I feel like you, you, the way you talk about it in the book is is, a, is great because it just sort of blends into the story and like you just sort of have a sense of how you guys travel through New York together and like as a family. I mean. But I'm just wondering if you can talk about like, your memories of being a child in the store, like I just, as a parent of like a one-year-old who moves around a lot, like it's hard to yeah. imagine like five kids understanding the boundary. Like there was no boundary. Watch, so watching yeah. the film with your yeah. brother, like the, the street is right there. That is how it was. Yeah, we were allowed to cross streets. Um, we, I mean. It, it, I always had the feeling when I was out and about, like people were whispering, like, "Ah, oh, should we call somebody?" And then somebody saying, "Like, no, don't worry, that's us shops." They're just feral wild wolves. Um, and the customers would kind of look out for us. Like my mom would be doing whatever, and you know, if we got close to, you know, something sharp and hot, which is what a kitchen is full of, um, they would pick us up. Or you know, I mean, the. Um, there, that like my my mom would just hand you a baby. You're a stranger. Like she had, like you could walk off, you could drop, you could have never. Like it didn't. That 
yeah, there was, I can't believe we all made it with all our fingers and toes. It's like, I just can't believe it. And we were so dirty and so, like, they had child services called on them. Like, it wasn't like that didn't happen. Like, it was, but I mean, it was the best. I can't imagine a more heaven idealistic, like, having a twin sister. And that was amazing. I mean, we were, yeah. We would like hide under booths. We had like our own little nest. Yeah, it was great. But I can't believe we didn't like at least like none of us even broke arms or got like. And we would walk around on sidewalk barefoot. Like I, I think I stepped on glass like a couple times, but like that's it. Do you want to tell that story about your dad following Charlie? Yeah, so my brother Charlie was really young. I don't know how old he was, like just when he could talk. And he wanted to go to his friend, maybe Jean Charles or somebody. And, and that was further. It was like crossing an avenue or cross, maybe it was crossing Hudson. I think it was crossing Hudson Street. So my dad said to Charlie, yeah, sure, go. But my dad was like, I'm going to follow him. I'll be a good, responsible parent. I'll just stay like two blocks behind. So my dad follows Charlie. He's following Charlie. And he gets to like, I don't know, uh, maybe Commerce, or where the cherry room there is. There used to be this old blue milk tavern. And he sees Charlie go up, there was always like a old school waiter outside. Um, and he sees Charlie go up to this guy and they're talking, like for a while. <laughs> and so then Charlie keeps moving on and my dad goes up to, to the waiter afterwards, you know, Charlie's still walking, but he's like, I'll catch up. And he says to the waiter, what did, what did Charlie say to you? And he goes, he asked why his dad was following him. <laughs> yeah, I, it, maybe that's why they never watched us after that. I mean, Charlie was like, he was the first one. So. Like he, all the pictures of the family are of Charlie and he would just send those to my grandparents. Like, there's home movies of Charlie. They're not home movies of me. <laughs> Like, yeah, so, I don't mind. Yeah. Any other questions? I have a question about the structure and okay. why you chose to do your, like, vignette, like, half-page vignettes, mostly. Um, um, that's the way I write. <laughs> um, and it's, like, I think for me, uh, there's a rhythm to it that I'm trying to do, and um, a lot of Sometimes I have different reasons. Either I'm leaving something boring out, or I think it's more funny to say less. Uh, it's really specific, but I think um, I wanted the book to feel really full, the way New York feels, and that is how I achieved it. I don't know. That, I don't know. I'm not good at talking about writing. <laughs> I didn't know. I think it totally works. I was just curious about the choice. Okay. Well, you could talk about your interest in design and efficiency that way too. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm also a designer and I'm a designer who, and also you can see it in my illustration, who does buy into the less is more. I like when things are, are simpler and elegant, like Buckminster Fuller talks about uh, just doing more with less. And um, it's 
Yeah, it's like a puzzle, I guess, sometimes to try to do as much as you can with as little, and then I find it more satisfying. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm not talking about this one. That makes but, sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think it seems more detailed that way in a weird way, too, with your because there's less on the page, but the memory feels sharper because of that. And yeah, and hopefully you. I also hope that the reader will fill in things as somebody who does puzzles and things. I like to think that it is a, the, the reader can fill in some stuff. It's there here, but I don't think I need to say it because I think it will make it less than what's in the person's mind. You're also kind of impatient as a New Yorker type person. I know because I'm <laughs> slow, slower than you when you're finishing my sentences a lot of times. This is true. <laughs> Let's see how I, I held back there. Yeah. What was the process of writing the book like? Did you revise it a lot? Did you change it? Did you... Um... It was really hard, and I don't know that I can really talk about it, because it's like really messy. There definitely were revisions and a lot of changes. It wasn't like... I know the way I write sounds very... Like, I just spoke it, and it, it's, hopefully it sounds, I want it to, it's the same thing with illustration, I want it to look, like, easy, but it's, like, super not. It's, like, an illustration or the book, it takes me a really long time to write a, a sentence. And I'm, I don't know, I'm not good at talking about how it happens, but it's, it's messy, and, and it's, like, yeah, it, this, this was written over a long period of time, it wasn't like it just, that's it. Also, you write in InDesign, not in Word. That's true. Yeah. So white space is really important to me, and I think of it as. Yeah. Did you uh, have your family or ask your family to read it before it was published? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. The funniest one was my brother Zach, who's in it. Who. Um, he is really different than me, and I said, and I gave him an early copy. There's like a bunch of parts with him, and I said, like, read it. I just, I just, all of my family, I was like, I don't want to do anything that hurts you. Please read it, and I'll change it, because, like, I, I have priorities, and family is above other stuff. So, um, I was kind of nervous. It's like, I don't know. I said this thing about him maybe marrying his girlfriend, and I was like, I don't know. Which we broke up with now, so it's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so Zach just didn't mention it, um, and so I emailed him a whole draft of the book, and not only that, I knew Zach doesn't like to read, so I I emailed him like every single moment where his name was mentioned in an email, not even like a PDF, because I knew he might not open that. And then we're cooking, and I like, I'm like, it's a really good day. We had a really good day. I like saved his items like a bunch of times, and I was like, Zach, did you, did you read the stuff? Is it okay? And he's like, he takes a deep breath. He's like, listen, Mara, I'm not gonna read it. <laughs> Do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm sure it's fine. Like, right? And it's like, and yeah, so that was that. And then, um, uh, 
My dad read it in like two days. He gobbled it up. He loved it. He he said it was just too short. And then it was like three weeks later, like he did not remember reading it. <laughs> my brother Charlie loved it. Um, Danny liked it. And my sister held off to like to like it till the book came out and now she really likes it and that's like the thing that's making me happiest in the whole world is that my sister is like happy that it exists and she likes it and like it's yeah everything else is really nice but that's like huge so yeah and that's everybody right the, no yeah no i said danny oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah any other questions Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.